The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. episode of serious fun as always i am your host dr brian carr we are rapidly approaching the summer season here on serious fun and normally this would be about the time of year that we would take some time off maybe recuperate but as you know we've had a bit of an erratic release schedule and quite frankly this is one of the only times i have to get new episodes out so i want to try to get a few episodes out this summer uh we'll see how close we get to stick to that but I wanted to start off with a few cuts from the vault, so to speak. We're going to go back into the archives a little bit. I was asked to give a few talks this year that I did record for this podcast. And for a number of different reasons, I didn't actually get them together. So I thought, why not now? What better time than in this sort of lull? So I'm going to start off with one that I did back on April 18th as part of a climate change teaching being put on by Dr. David Volker at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I was asked to talk about the film Don't Look Up, which you may have seen. And just as a sort of warning, if you haven't seen it and you want to, uh, don't listen to this yet because I'm going to ruin the ending. I mean, again, there's probably not much to ruin at this point. But uh, nonetheless, I've done my duty. So I decided to look at this kind of the only way I knew how, which was to talk about it as a metaphor. And, you know, if we're going to talk about a comet hitting Earth, it begs the question, is that the best way to talk about the very real and very multifaceted issue of climate change? Not to give too much away for the podcast, but the answer is no, not really. So, Sit back, relax. This is a short one this week, but I'll have another one coming for you soon. This is me talking about climate change and the metaphors of the film Don't Look Up during the climate change teach-in April 18th, 2022 at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay here on Serious Fun. Thank you so much. Uh, All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, good morning to you uh, on a day that kind of feels like this is a, as good a time to talk about climate change as any. Uh, my name is Dr. Brian Carr. I'm an associate professor in the Communication Information Science programs here at UWGB. And uh, I am here today to talk about uh, the film Don't Look Up and also just kind of more broadly the idea of metaphor in popular culture in general and how that might be able to really help us talk about these issues, but also could potentially cause some problems. So yes, if you have not seen the film, there will absolutely be some spoilers uh, coming up. Um, you know, that is something that's kind of unavoidable in this topic. Uh, but uh, frankly, also, it's a movie where an asteroid is headed to Earth. There's only two ways this ends, and this movie doesn't have Bruce Willis in it. Okay? So uh, just to kind of let you know where we're at, uh, Don't Look Up is a 2021 film uh, from writer-director Adam McKay. Uh, most recently brought us movies like The Big Short and Veep, but more importantly to me, Anchorman. Uh, the premise is based that researchers have discovered a planet-killing asteroid is headed to Earth. 
They attempt to warn humanity about it, do not quite get the response they're looking for. The government is very skeptical, in fact, outright hostile toward them. Uh, the media kind of treats it like a joke. Uh, corporate America is basically trying to find ways to exploit the asteroid for their own game. Uh, and the people don't seem to be too concerned about it. They're more worried about celebrity gossip and relationships and that kind of thing. Uh, so basically, the film, they try to destroy the asteroid. It doesn't work because a cell phone company decides there's rare earth metals in the asteroid that they want. So then they try to uh, drill into it and they try to do their own uh, thing to uh, destroy the asteroid later. Well, we'll talk about how that goes. Um, and I propose that we look at this film basically as what it is. It is a metaphor for climate change and not really a subtle one. Adam McKay is not really good at doing subtle. In fact, in an interview prior to the film coming out, he said, quote, this movie came from my burgeoning terror about the climate crisis and the fact that we live in a society that tends to place it as the fourth or fifth news story, or in some cases even deny that it's happening and how horrifying that is, but at the same time preposterously funny. So if we're going to look at it as a metaphor, I think it really helps for us to exactly break down what a metaphor is. Um, so we'll do some really quick rhetorical analysis here. Metaphor criticism suggests that there are two parts to any sort of metaphor. The first is the tenor. That's the subject of the metaphor. Basically, what we are talking about and what we are comparing to another unrelated thing. The second is the vehicle. That is the thing that we are comparing this concept to, okay, the subject of comparison. And there's ground. I don't have that on the slide, but basically ground is the way that we connect these two things together and justify that comparison in terms of their common properties. So, for instance, we might describe an energetic, aggressive person as a tenor, but then liken them as a vehicle to a firecracker. Oh, that person's a real firecracker or something like that, right? Um, the grounds are both very quick to explode, but, you know, could be really cool when they do. Uh, the other, we can also look at like a, a tense, challenging situation in your home life or your work life as our tenor and compare it to a ticking time bomb. The ground, of course, being that they're both building towards some kind of potentially destructive outcome. Uh, the ground, of course, is that both are dangerous, uh, destructive, and quite frankly, undesirable. So if we look at Don't Look Up, here's our tenor, which is global warming. Okay, uh, The vehicle is a looming asteroid about to collide the planet and destroy it, killing us all. Okay? Uh, the ground here, in McKay's reading anyway, comes primarily from the fact that the characters uh, react to the uh, asteroid this way. Namely, those in power ignore it. Those who give the warning succumb to the seduction of celebrity uh, and influence that can often uh, harm or uh, uh, denigrate the power of being able to speak about it. And that both problems are both avoidable and made worse by the fact that we're not taking action against them. Uh, the central thesis in McKay's view is that we are ignoring the obvious in front of us. That literally, this is happening, and we're not doing anything about it. In the film, uh, the title actually comes from a don't look a hashtag, don't look up movement, basically asteroid denialists claim that the asteroid is not coming to Earth, don't look up, it's all a big whatever, uh, and they're actually mocking those who look up to see it, as you know, climate change denialists have done to people who are trying to ring the bell about climate change for years. Now, metaphors like that and don't look up make it really easy to have difficult conversations in more inviting ways. Often science fiction and fantasy in particular allow us to use the power of metaphor in these fantastical situations to create allegories to reality. And we can talk about these things in a manner that is not seen as lecturing or hectoring. It's a lot easier to have this conversation in a sort of three hour long farce than it is to actually sit up here with a PowerPoint talking about it, which is of course something we tried in film as well with an inconvenient truth. Uh, for instance, in my own experience, I found easy to talk about issues like the African diaspora, uh, African diaspora, apartheid, and historic systemic inequality through the metaphor of the superhero Black Panther. Okay, I've got a book coming out, right? So it turns out it works really, really well. 
comparing the fictional events to real-world context and history makes those discussions a lot easier to follow, particularly for people who don't already have a lot of that context. Um, but it also opens the doors to those conversations to be had in the first place by attaching them to something that people are actually more interested in and more sympathetic toward. So a farce about the impending apocalypse theoretically is a more fun and enjoyable way to do this. Moreover, metaphor can make challenging or difficult subjects more accessible by streamlining their elements. Temperature measurements, heat charts, uh, maps, data are important, but not always terribly compelling. But the impact of those abstracted elements, planetary devastation and loss of life, can be simplified in terms of, well, an asteroid impact. Yet at the same time, we run the risk of oversimplifying these issues by trying to take the real and compare it to the fantastic. Um, we could use, as many did, to kind of go back in time a little bit, the film The Dark Knight to discuss the lingering effects of the Patriot Act, the war on terror, and the broader question of whether sacrificing liberty for security really means that we deserve either. But the government did not fund the Joker in the 1980s to give him the resources and the uh, political uh, clout to actually engage in his war on Gotham. Likewise, um, the average citizen of Gotham is not going to be spied on or hauled in for questioning based on what books they check out of the library. So while it allows us to have that conversation, it's not really uh, uh, in engaging on the actual uh, real impact of the issue. Um, likewise, decades of climate and energy policy cannot be resolved or accurately discussed in a two and a half hours of film that is primarily meant to entertain. Uh, and also win Leonardo DiCaprio another Oscar. Didn't happen, but he was trying. Uh, moreover, by using metaphor improperly, by associating the tenor with the wrong vehicle, we can also discourage people from taking the tenor seriously or confuse and complicate the issue. Emma Lee, in an essay for the website leftvoice.org, makes the case about the movie this way. Emphatically explained the climate crisis is not a comet, it's literally the title of the article, and that matters. She says, quote, there are indeed oversimplifications in the movie. While I disagree they take away from its message, they do complicate clean comparisons to our current reality. While the comet metaphor is undoubtedly a powerful characterization of the threat posed by the climate crisis, it distorts the crisis's relationship to the capitalist system and perhaps understates the action needed to divert it. In short, we draw attention away from real solutions in trying to make this, uh, uh, this topic more broadly accessible. So if we look at and analyze some of the problems of the film then, uh, we have to start off with climate despair, a real issue that comes up when we talk about these, this topic. Uh, Mary Nace Heglar, a climate writer, told Vox last year, what happens is when people first realize how bad it, climate change is, they really feel powerless. With the extreme weather this year, she said there's a new wave of people really talking about how bad it is. And indeed, 40% of Americans do feel helpless about climate change. 29% feel hopeless. We go from helpless to hopeless. Uh, according to a December 2020 survey. I can't imagine it's gotten better since. Uh, it's also no surprise that these emotions are coming up during a devastating pandemic, Vox says, um, another global disaster of which we have no real control. And indeed, many have also argued that Don't Look Up could be compared to the global pandemic as well. Max Goodman, a senior in the Columbia School of General Studies, argues for climate stoicism instead of climate despair, saying, quote, say we are doomed to overshoot the most painful tipping points. Should that really change how we act? No matter how enormous the losses we suffer, the climate will continue to change, continue to strain our ability to adapt until we achieve net zero. It will never be too late to act because things can always get worse. Kind of a weirdly optimistic way of phrasing it. Um, two plus degrees of warming is a Pandora's box we don't really want to open, but it's not the end of the world and it's not the end of the fight. We could miss all our deadlines. Whatever progress we made will have still been worth it. We will still have staunched some of the bleeding and made future healing attainable. By casting global warming and the, uh, essentially the governmental and corporate inaction toward it as its metaphor, as a thing that cannot be stopped, as again, they do not stop the asteroid. Life is destroyed at the end of the movie. Like I said, there's two ways it ends and they chose the uh, ending A. Okay, uh, 
everyone in the film at the end of it is dead, regardless of their complicity in the circumstances, regardless of whether they were trying to stop it. Everybody's gone, except, of course, for the wealthy and privileged who were able to get on the last ship off the Earth to go to another planet millions of years in the future. Um, by doing this, by saying that basically you're, you're hosed no matter what you do, that there's really nothing we can do, it really kind of reiterates in the audience who might already be kind of despairing about this stuff that really there's nothing for us to do, so why bother? Um, why bother fighting at all, arguably? And, and the film is frequently funny, don't get me wrong. It's a really strong farce. Like, there's a lot of really funny gags in it. Um, but it often laugh, la uh, suffers from a lack of focus as a metaphor because McKay is trying to tie a lot of his personal irritants into climate change. It goes after social media, religion, news media, celebrity culture. But again, it really puts maybe too much of the blame on the audience by saying we're too absorbed into looking at things like you know, social media and celebrity gossip to actually pay attention to what's going around us. When, really, uh, when in reality, while um, uh, uh, Dr. Volker said you know, we can do things as individuals and we should do things as individuals, a lot of the actual problem is being caused uh, and needs to be solved through really kind of broader collective systemic action. Um, per 2017's Carbon Majors report, just 100 companies are the source of more than 70% of greenhouse gas emissions. That same report found that more than half of global industrial emissions since 1988 can be traced to just 25 corporate and state-owned entities. When we are told the best way to combat climate change is through individual action, i.e. look up, um, this is left out. And this film places the blame in no small part on us. And it's part of why so many critics found the film was kind of more smug than helpful. As Richard Brody put it, um, basically, in its own anti-aesthetic of neutral images and predigested narrative efficiency, the celebrity feast of star turns and flashy performances and the simplistic anger-stoking and pathos-ringing mask the fundamental position of getting itself talked about while uh, utterly eliding any real sense of politics or political confrontation. The failure of topicality and don't look up is not least the movie's cynically apolitical view of politics contributes to the frivolous and self-regarding media environment that it decries, starting with the very celebrity power the movie marshals to score its points. Its blustery, hectoring, and colossally wild, wide purview is most notable for its omissions and blind spots, its civic ambitions reflect, above all, the inside Hollywood tunnel vision that it mocks. In short, he argues, the metaphor falls short because of how it is presented, and the movie doesn't really do any real favors to the climate change discussion other than giving scientists kind of a bit of a catharsis by saying, hey, we're the heroes, and like, it's finally somebody's talking about it the way we, that, in that way. So you might be asking, Dr. Carr, are there better metaphors we can use to talk about climate change? I'm glad you asked, hypothetical person. Uh, and in fact, there is. And I just want to apologize to Dr. Volker and everybody else involved putting on this event, but you should know, if you're going to give me a door to talk about Godzilla, I'm going to walk through it. <laughs> now, I want to talk about Godzilla very quickly as why it matters as a metaphor for climate change. Ishiro Honda's original 1954 film is a tragic, clear metaphor for the fallout of the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the sort of impact that had on the collective cultural psyche of Japan. Over the years, Godzilla as a character and a metaphor has changed based on the ongoing anxieties and relationships and issues between the U.S. and Japan. Contemporary Godzilla films have kind of settled on Godzilla being sort of a metaphor for Earth and nature, and how we react to Godzilla is really how we react to Earth and nature. Shin Godzilla, the 2017 Japanese film, which was very well received and won a bunch of awards, uh, shows Godzilla as a looming, evolving threat slowly lumbering across the city that is eventually, after a long time, defeated by competent and principled government and collective action across the world. Though ironically, the glacial pace of such action purposefully makes the problem worse. As Zach Hessan put it in his essay for Film Inquiry, Godzilla acts as a metaphor for climate change and the tendency of humanity to meddle with nature. He is, after all, the product of a covered-up spill of radioactive material, and also the problem of Godzilla keeps getting worse because the government is ignorant and too slow to act. Um, 
As Heston says, there are several films where the response team is sitting around and talking. When they don't sit, they walk and talk while formulating plans that don't lead anywhere. The strategy scenes so Shin Godzilla's, slow Shin Godzilla's pacing. However, the makers of the film are aware of this and make the audience aware of it. After the first attack, the response team plans a meeting of how to deal with Godzilla. As they talk, the screen goes black with a title card reading 45 minutes later, and the team remains unchanged. They still sit, talk, and offer no solution to the problem while Godzilla slowly continues to destroy the city. Yet fix the problem they do through that aforementioned collective and multilateral action. The city is still largely destroyed as a result of that slow response, but they stop him. They stop him. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which came out in 2019, shows Big G as the avatar of nature trying to correct itself and heals the continuation of themes from the 2014 film, both of these American takes on Godzilla, with the Monarch group trying to help Godzilla defeat the semi-made, man-made threat of King Ghidorah. And I love that I get to talk about this in public, and you all can't leave. It's so great. Um, Summoned and controlled by a group of environmental nihilists wanting to destroy humanity rather than fix the problem. And this is where the metaphor starts to get a bit hairy, but stick with me here. Um, ultimately, by working to support nature collectively, the Earth is shown to heal. Over the credit sequence, it shows that species are repopulating, the bias, the, the climate is coming back, the rainforest is returning, all of that because we have made harmony with the kaiju, harmony with Godzilla and his fellow monsters, rather than trying to destroy them. In short, Godzilla is a powerful vehicle to associate with several tenors, and climate change happens to be one of the ones that he's being used for a lot. While the problem, uh, there are problems with this metaphor as well, the one common theme is that these problems are a threat, but we can do something about them. And it takes collective action and a willingness to seek balance and harmony with nature rather than exploiting or trying to destroy it for your own purposes. Arguably a more constructive message than the one McKay is offering. Now, to sum up, metaphor in pop culture is extremely powerful, but we have to use it right. Uh, if we should not oversimplify, we should not uh, undercut activism, uh, and we also shouldn't see this as a replacement for genuine discussion, but rather an introduction. But the good news is that if we're going to look at pop culture as a potential way to solve uh, or, or to talk about these issues, there's a lot of pop culture to come, and it's, coming from, uh, it's going to be coming from younger and younger generations. And what we are seeing, according to environmental studies professor Sarah Ray, the younger demographic, your Gen Y, the folks who are going to be most directly affected by climate change, are more inspired to combat it. The fatalism isn't really there. She said, um, you know, the, the futility of it is diminished. They're saying, no, actually, COVID has shown we can change us lots of things. They feel more politically powerful than any previous generation before them. Desperation, a necessity, necessity is the mother of invention. Desperation is the mother of action. Those two things go together. You can't have a politically organized organization and group without that clear and present danger to rally around. So while Don't Look Up may be coming from the previous guard, there's a lot of things to be excited about the, what, who's coming next and the stories they could tell and, uh, uh, to help us cope with this issue. Uh, so that's what I've got, uh, but I do have time, I believe, for some questions. So if anybody has any questions or uh, comments, uh, I'd love to hear them. And I could just sit up here and talk about Godzilla some more. That's something else I can also do. You want to post a Godzilla screening in the fall? Uh, okay, yeah. I'll, sure, that'd be great. Uh, we might actually be back on time here. Yes, David. Well, you spoke, you spoke a little bit about the end of the film mm-hmm. and uh, the wealthy class that escapes. Yes. And one of the gags is that they get their comeuppance as well. Of course, yes. But I wonder what you think about that in terms of the message of the film. Like, yeah. does that get us? Is, that, is it just a gag or it's it's a good gag like don't get me wrong like it's very funny that you have a bunch of naked multi-billionaires that are being surrounded by dinosaurs it's very good okay um you know uh but ultimately like you know it, it is cathartic in a way for the audience but ultimately not much actually changes right 
you know, we could say, you know, it, it'd be kind of the same way saying, yes, well, the, the planet's going to, you know, uh, we're going to see cities fall into the ocean. We're going to see all these other things happen, you know, taking kind of the long kind of extremist view of things. Um, but, you know, Amazon will be affected by that, too. But it's like, well, they really won't. Right. Like, you know, we can say that, you know, if you look at um, this is one of the things that, you know, it's been kind of a personal uh thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is if you look at the people who have the resource to really do something meaningful about this, how are they, how are they uh, spending their money and time? They're trying to get off the planet, right? Your Elon Musk, your Jeff Bezos, they got money. They're going to be trying to make rockets to go colonize Mars or something like that. But it's like, reality, we don't have to build rockets. We can fix things here and make Earth more livable and solve these things. And so I think that in a lot of ways, that's kind of the ultimate outcome. And maybe what that's sort of, maybe that kind of mindset is what McKay is sort of poking at a little bit there. Um, but, you know, as, as fun as it is to see that ending after kind of the gigantic bummer that is the, is the rest of the ending, um, you know, does it really add to the metaphor? Uh, or does it just kind of reiterate the kind of fatalism that I think a lot of this movie um, is, is shot through with? I, I, I don't know. Just thank you. I think that's a really great response. And just in my comments, I mentioned um, venting. As, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Unskillful way, or maybe ineffective way, to honor our pain for the world, or mm-hmm. you know, for climate change. And just as you're talking, I'm wondering if there could be a way in which a lot of what's happening in the film is venting. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, 100 percent. So it's not. Yeah. It's not helping us move toward. Yeah. It. This is basically uh, Adam McKay yelling at uh, the world for three hours. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how long the movie. It's a long movie, um, and uh, you know, there, there's value in that. I think, and a lot of good satire can come from simply holding a mirror up and saying, "Isn't this, you know, bonkers?" But at a certain point, if you're trying to tell a story, because what's worth noting is that this film actually did come. I didn't get to this uh, in the in the presentation so much, but it came alongside a sort of concerted social media effort that used the hashtag "Just Look Up" to try to uh, in, uh, increase engagement and awareness of climate change issues. Right. So there's definitely an intent here to try to use it to be constructive, but the film doesn't really back that up in my read. Um, Certainly, I mean, if, on the other hand, if it get, uh, got a few people sharing and talking about it, maybe that's a win. Um, but, you know, long term, it's, 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 it's worth, deba- it's, I think it's a debate. Yes? I guess two questions kind of following up on that. One is, you know, I, I question whether this film just kind of preaches to the choir mm-hmm. people that are already on board and kind of alienates those that maybe fall into the don't look up camp. Mm-hmm. I think the preaching to the choir element you identified, thank you for bringing that up, because that's exactly, I think, what the movie's doing. You're, this movie is not made to change minds. I think they're kind of assuming you're already on board with it, right? Or you kind of, I mean, is it possible if people are going to be like, oh, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, I like him. Let's tune in and see what he's up to. Um, th- yes, it is possible, but are those folks going to, you know, you run the risk either of, A, the metaphor sails over their heads, though I don't know how it would really be possible with this movie, um, or B, you have them actually becoming hostile toward it, Right. By feeling well, this is another example of you know quote unquote woke Hollywood trying to shove their you know agenda down our throats. But I think I mean you have seen some uh, you know some folks kind of I, I think that 
you know, and I haven't looked at the polling recently, but I do believe you are seeing at least some more acknowledgement that climate change exists, which is an improvement from where we were when I was a kid. Um, but uh, it's still, you know, I, I don't know how much it's going to change when, like you said, it is really aimed at speaking to the people. It's like, it's going to be the people who are kind of like pointing and nodding. Ironically, the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing in, at the screen meme that you see on social media a lot. That's what this movie is designed to elucidate. Like, yeah, that's right. It's just like this one thing. Um, you know, one of the villains, Mark Rylance, plays the sort of tech capitalist, and he's this weird combination of, like, every tech CEO out there uh, in this one weird kind of idiosyncratic package. Um, it's, like, and that, to me, like, you know, either you're kind of already on board and you get that and you know these are people that are being mocked, or you're just kind of like, well, that was three hours and the world ended and there was nobody to save it, so cool. You know, um, it's, it's interesting because there's been a really, like, the people who are uh, in the climate change, uh, scientists working in climate change and that kind of thing, love the movie, I think, for the most part. Some were skeptical about um, the, the exact the thing you're talking about with the preaching of the choir. But, you know, outside of it, you know, uh, a lot of folks just, uh, even people who are actively, like, on board with what the movie's trying to talk about, looked at it and said, I don't like this movie because it is too smug and heavy-handed for me. Um, and I think there's a certain point where you run into that when you are making a movie. And, and so to answer your question about how we get there, I think, you know, there is some value in abstracting it more um, and trying to really kind of lead people to those discussions in a way that says, hey, this isn't necessarily your fault personally, but this is something that you should be aware of. And it's a thing that we can solve, but we have to actually do something about it. Right. Um, you know, I think about movies like The Day After Tomorrow and that kind of thing, where they turn climate change into this gigantic, scientifically implausible spectacle, which is also kind of its own problem. Um, but maybe stuff like that is maybe a better way to go as so as not to alienate the folks that are out there. And the folks that are already kind of convinced, you probably don't need to convince them any further. Um, that, that's kind of a long non-answer to your question. I apologize. But uh, I, I, mean, I take one more question. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the big thing is, uh, I, I think rather than taking like a broad systemic view, ironically, even though we've been talking about how much like we need to take that broad systemic view, I think honing in on like the individual and how life is changing around them, right? And how like, you know, we, you could do a story starting with like a little kid and then just sort of project out, okay, if we continue our current pace, here's what this kid's life's going to be like and how their life's going to change. That's a way to do a really sort of compelling character drama that doesn't necessarily say, you know, this is directly who's at fault, which can sometimes be off-putting and sort of drown out the noise or drown out the discussion, but rather say, look, this is something that we're going to have to deal with and that your kids specifically are going to have to deal with. This is what life's going to be like for them, right? And you can tell a story. And again, I think if you have a good story and a good kind of narrative hook, the message can carry through without you having to be heavy-handed about it, Right. 
you know, I, I, I'm just thinking, like, you know, if you start with that kid and then, like, in their 50s or 60s, as they're kind of looking and seeing, like, you know, some people are moving inland, it's harder to find places to live, that kind of stuff. That is a really kind of easy and subtle way to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I think, and, you know, the realm of science fiction is not a bad way to do that. I mean, you look at stuff like Children of Men, which is, again, not directly about these issues, but also shows kind of, like, the day-to-day impact on, like, you know, what would happen if you know, we no longer had kids, right? If, if babies weren't being born anymore, right? And so, like, if there were these sort of, like, uh, these kind of changes in our everyday life, how would different people react to that? And I think that might be maybe an easier way to go about it for a lot of people. Um, and you could even do, like, you could make it funny, you could make it heartfelt, but, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, but really kind of t- taking it and making it less about here's what you and, uh, and, and the audience is responsible for and what the broader public's responsible for versus here's how this is going to affect a person. Let's use that to have a larger conversation. Right. Um, I think that could be a way to go. Yeah. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. That'll do it for this episode of Serious Fun. Quick housekeeping note before we go. I did mention that I had a book coming out. Uh, That book is called The Transmedia Construction of the Black Panther, Long Live the King, available now from Lexington Press. So uh, check that out. Look it up if you are so inclined. Um, I want to thank all the folks at Phoenix Studios, particularly Ryan Martin, Kate Farley, and Bill Salek for their help. Kimberly Vlees for coming up with the album art for the podcast that you see every time a new one comes up. Uh, And uh, thanks to our audio editor, which is me. So good job, me. Round of applause. Uh, Until next time, please check out all the other podcasts for Phoenix Studios uh, at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast or in iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast please leave nice reviews five stars all that kind of stuff and until next time this has been serious fun and thank you for listening you just listened to a phoenix studio production the podcast network for the university of wisconsin green bay for more podcasts please visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts